But God, I pray that you would create in us, in our own hearts, Lord, just a, a lean and posture to your word today. Lord, not because the, the preacher is special, but because your word is alive, it's active, it is authoritative. And God, we yearn to hear from you today. Lord, we want so much more than just, uh, just, just information to be transferred to our minds, but we want our hearts to be transformed. God, we wanna walk out of this room changed, and that can only happen by you meeting with us, speaking directly to our hearts, using your word. And so we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, one of the advantages of walking through a book verse by verse is that it allows us to see things and make connections that we would otherwise miss. And as we close out this first chapter of the Gospel of John, I just wanna point out one thing uh, that, that I think John has been trying to do for us in this first chapter that's going to impact the way that we understand um, our passage. I just wanna point out the way in which John has been trying to portray and describe Jesus in these first 51 verses. Now, you might have already noticed this or picked up on it, but I think it's worth mentioning. In the very beginning, in, in verse one, chapter one, John starts off by describing Jesus as this infinite, preexistent, eternal, just this, this God who's beyond our comprehension, right? This massive God, creator of the universe, and it almost feels like there's distance between that God and, and us. Well, as John continues to describe Jesus in John chapter one, we learn that this God didn't stay up in heaven, but took on flesh and actually dwelt among us, dwelt with humanity. And we see this God actually coming near, this God who's personal, this God who is pursuing people, this God who is not intimidated with the messiness of our issues, but a God who actually wants to have a relationship with us. And we see that as he kind of closes out these last two passages in John chapter one. Now, if, if you're not new to scripture, you're probably thinking that's, that's kind of old hat. Like, I already, I already know that. I already know that's kind of the direction that John is going. But if we're reading this correctly, what John is hoping that our hearts is filled with is this worshipful confusion almost. This sense of like, how can God, the God of the universe who's created everything, how can he actually want a relationship with me? That's, that's kind of what John wants us to be filled with, is this type of, of awe that this magnificent, infinite God actually wants to be near to us and is actually pursuing us. In fact, that's what John is trying to lay out for us in this gospel. That's why he has these different recordings of these encounters that Jesus has with all kinds of different individuals. I love this, this aspect of the Gospel of John is that he records for us these encounters that these real and ordinary people have with Jesus, these people who have issues just like you and I have, and they have these encounters with Jesus and their lives are changed. Now, I love that aspect of, of this Gospel because it just draws us into the narrative. Like we get to know all kinds of characters throughout the Gospel and it forces us to ask the question, in what way am I like this person? Or how can I relate to Andrew or Peter or Nathaniel or the woman at the well? And as we get to know these different encounters, we see how Jesus pursues them, how Jesus meets them exactly where they are. And we read this and we study this and we conclude, man, if I'm like this person and Jesus meets them where they are, then Jesus can surely meet me where I am. 
And, and if that's true, and we get to know these stories more and more, we watch how these individuals not only encounter Jesus, but they actually respond to Jesus and they follow Jesus and they surrender their lives to Jesus. And you and I are confronted with the question, will you do that as well? That's why I love this gospel. It just draws us into it. And I just want you to, to, to be reminded this morning how alive and active the word of God actually is. Like this book is so powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the, the deepest parts of our hearts and it, it meets us exactly where we are, not where we should be. That God is not trying to, to make us like all look the same, but God meets us where we are with our unique issues and struggles and baggage, and he confronts us with the life-changing person of Jesus where we have to do something with Jesus. Are we gonna follow him or are we gonna continue to live for ourselves? And so this this direction that John is, is taking us in is like taking this infinite God and then over here that we can actually have a personal relationship with him and yet the link is actually encountering Jesus for yourself, okay? And that's why we're walking through this verse by verse is because we wanna see all of these different encounters and what that means for us uh, personally. And so this morning, we're gonna look at Philip and Nathaniel in verses 43 uh, through 51. And I'm gonna call Philip, Philip the enthusiast. He's very passionate about Jesus. And then I'm gonna call Nathaniel, Nathaniel uh, the, the, the cynic, because he's got some doubts and, uh, and some questions that I think that we can uh, relate with as well. Okay, so here's, uh, here's Philip um, in verses 43 uh, through 55. Our passage opens up with Jesus deciding to go to Galilee in verse 43. Now, he's most likely doing this because he's trying to get to the wedding that takes place in Cana, which is in Galilee, which we'll get to uh, next week. And now, the passage starts off with Jesus immediately calling Philip uh, to follow him. Now, we don't have a, a lot of details that John uh, provides for us in this experience, it seems like for Philip, this was somewhat of an easy decision for him to believe in Jesus and follow after him. And then we see Philip not only follow Jesus, but we see him in verse 45 going and finding Nathanael. Now, Nathanael uh, is also known as Bartholomew in other gospels. So he kind of has these, these two names. Philip is most likely uh, his nickname, and Philip tells them, he says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so Philip, the enthusiast, is just so excited about this encounter that he had with Jesus that he goes and he finds Nathaniel. Now, we don't have a lot of details even about this encounter, but I think that we can conclude two things about Philip, the enthusiast. Number one, I think we can safely conclude that Philip's joy in Christ led him or even propelled him to finding Nathanael. That Philip was so convinced about who Jesus claimed to be, he was so passionate, so excited about Jesus that it led him uh, to going and finding other people in order to call them to follow Jesus as well. Look, we, we've hit this in previous weeks before, but just, just to again, hit this again, um, your passion for Jesus will be seen in your ability to talk about Jesus with other people. 
Like you can, you can tell me, you can tell the person next to you how excited that you are about Christianity, but really that is proven genuine by your ability to go and share Jesus with other people who may not know him. And I think Philip demonstrates that here with Nathaniel. The second thing I think that we can safely conclude about Philip is that his relationship with Nathaniel was strong enough to hold the weight of truth. That Philip doesn't just go and grab a random person named Nathaniel. No, he's got a relationship with him, maybe even a friendship with him that can hold the weight of truth. That Philip knew that Nathaniel was interested in this topic of the coming Messiah. And look, this is, this is often the way that the gospel spreads, that it spreads in the context of relationships, person to person, face to face. But what's interesting about this whole encounter between Philip and Nathaniel is that Nathaniel actually responds to Philip, provides some pushback, and yet doesn't immediately write him off. Like, like Philip invites him to follow him. Nathaniel asks this question, providing uh, maybe some pushback, and then Philip says, well, come and see, and they still maintain their relationship. Like this is this is maybe a challenge for you and I as we think about evangelism, as we think about sharing Jesus with other people who may not know him. Do we have strong enough relationships with unbelievers where when we start talking about Jesus, the, the relationship is strong enough to kind of hold the weight of Jesus so the relationship doesn't crumble beneath us, so the individual doesn't immediately write you off as crazy? Like I think in the, the culture that we live in, we can talk about religion, maybe about faith, maybe about church, but when you start talking about Jesus, you start talking about the gospel, I think that relationship needs to be strong enough to hold the weight of truth. And I think Philip demonstrates that for us beautifully here. He goes and he finds Nathaniel. Now he finds Nathaniel, tells him that he has found the Messiah, but notice the walls that come up with Nathaniel. Notice the question in verse 46. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Just kind of stiff arms him. You know, you can see kind of doubt just drenched in this question. And I want you to meet Nathaniel the, the cynic. Now, Nathaniel the cynic with this question, I just want to point this out, that there is something behind Nathaniel's question here. There is something in Nathaniel's hearts that the question here is, is really just a symptom. And, and I think that the root of, of what's in Nathaniel's heart and what's behind this question was having a profound disappointment with God. And that's, that's always true. I think with, whenever we have a question or a doubt or some type of, of issue with God, there's always something behind it within our hearts that, that's driving that kind of question. And for Nathaniel, he was disappointed with God. And the reason why I say that is because Nathanael was a passionate Israelite. Jesus even says that in verse 47. He was a good Israelite. And being a good Israelite, he, uh, he found his identity in being part of God's covenant um, people. And he longed for the day in which God would redeem Israel, longed for the day in which God would actually bring the Messiah and the Messiah would usher in a new era of international prominence. And yet, like so many Israelites, Nathaniel suffered from disappointment. 
prophets and preachers who wandered throughout Israel proclaiming that Messiah was coming, the Messiah was coming, and yet they still remained under Roman rule and Roman oppression. Nathaniel had become cynical, become jaded. His attitude was, man, I've, I've heard all the claims. Let's see some action. And so his buddy Philip comes to him and says, hey, we found the Messiah. We finally found the Messiah. And so Nathaniel's like, yeah, 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 I've heard this before. Prove it. Now, I love, I love Nathaniel because Nathaniel is like so many of us. Like so many of us here in this room, maybe you need a little bit more uh, information or, or facts before you just easily believe something. Maybe you see the glass as being half empty rather than half full. Maybe you're more uh, prone to doubt, more prone to questioning, more prone uh, to cynicism. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian because you've got a lot of questions about uh, the Christian faith. Or maybe you are a Christian and you open up this book, you open up the Bible, and you have so many questions about it. You have so many, so many issues that hang you up as it relates to, to what it means to follow uh, Jesus. That maybe your, your whole relationship with God has been filled with questioning and, and cynicism and, and doubting. And you look at Nathaniel's question here, it's, can anything good come from Nazareth? But maybe your question is something different. Maybe your question is, can God actually be good when there's so much suffering in my life? Or does Christianity even work? See, we, we all have these questions, like Nathaniel. We all have these things that, that we present before the Lord that can almost serve as a barrier between us and him. And so what I, what I wanna do over the next couple of moments is I wanna just talk to Nathaniels in the room if I could. I wanna talk to us who are maybe prone to cynicism or questioning with our relationship with the Lord. And, and look, if you're not a Nathaniel, if you relate much better to Philip, I just want to encourage you not to tune me out here because you most likely know a Nathaniel in your life. Maybe you're married to one or maybe you're trying to, to witness to a Nathaniel, but I just wanna point out some helpful things of what to do with our doubt and with our cynicism, okay? You guys okay if we talk about doubt in the church? You all right talking about cynicism? Okay, here we go. Now, if you're a Nathaniel or you can relate well with him, I just wanna point out the fact that there is a difference between healthy cynicism and unhealthy cynicism. That not all doubt is bad doubt. That uh, Tim Keller talks about how there is dishonest doubt and there is honest doubt. That our doubt can either lead us into sin uh, or our doubt can actually be a proponent of growth in our relationship with the Lord. Okay, so uh, I wanna point out just three differences between healthy cynicism and unhealthy cynicism, okay? Here's number one. I think unhealthy cynicism is proud rather than humble. It's proud rather than humble. I think unhealthy cynicism is uh, somewhat defiant and even closed off. Like when they hear something about God, they hear something about the Bible or uh, maybe one of the promises in the Bible, their immediate posture is resistance. That they immediately think there's no way that can be true. Like that's impossible or that sounds so dumb. So someone who has kind of an unhealthy cynicism is not even open to considering that they might be wrong about something. That there's kind of a, a pride and an arrogance that surrounds their heart and their minds. They might even look down on others who might find it easier to believe uh, certain things. But humble doubt, 
on the other hand, is open. It grows out of a sense of wonder and awe. Like when they hear something about God or hear something about the Bible, they don't immediately write it off. They're, they're more open. Uh, they might be tentative, but their posture is more like, God, how can these things actually be true? Like, I don't understand, but I'm ready to learn, right? That, that's, that's the key difference between proud and humble doubt. There is a posture of humility and there's a posture of vulnerability that he or she admits that there's more out there that they may not know. And they're not afraid of, of asking God the hard questions and being open to the answers and how the answers might even shatter some of the categories that they live in. But proud doubt, they rarely ask honest questions. And if they do, they're not even really open to hearing uh, the answers. So that's unhealthy cynicism with, with pride. Secondly, I think unhealthy cynicism uses doubt um, oftentimes as a smokescreen. That the questions that many skeptics and doubters get hung up on are often smoke and mirrors that obscure the deeper heart questions. Now this isn't always the case, but, but a lot of times the, the questions that are being asked, like doesn't the Bible contradict itself? Or how can God actually be good when there's so much suffering? Or how can this truth actually be practical for me? Oftentimes those questions are hiding deeper heart level uh, issues uh, within a person's life. My, uh, my younger brother, for example, he has always struggled with faith always struggled with, with Christianity, has had so many questions about, uh, about what it means to follow God, about the Bible. And, and we grew up with the same uh, Christian parents, went to the same Christian school, and yet he has question after question about what it means to actually follow Jesus and about the Bible. And I remember going through seminary, and we talked so many times, so many hours about the questions that he had um, about the Bible. And I didn't do a perfect job answering these questions by any means, but it got to a point in our conversation where I was like, man, is, is there something else going on? Like, we've addressed every question under the book, and I haven't answered them perfectly, but is there something else going on in your life? And I remember he answered me. He said, you know what? Actually, there is. Like, these are real questions for me, but Chris, if I, if I was honest with you, I don't want to live for someone else besides me. I don't want to surrender my life to God. And that, for me, was like a light bulb that went off that, yeah, these questions were real, but there was something beneath the surface in his heart where there was a sin that he just didn't want to surrender his life and live for God. Now, this, this isn't always the case with Nathaniel's, but oftentimes, the questions and the doubts that they're wrestling with, they're hiding things beneath their heart that they're wrestling with, that they're not, they're not wanting to give up, and they may not even be aware of it. And so if you're, if you're a Nathaniel here, I just wanna encourage you, these questions are fine, doubts are fine, but be honest and open about maybe other things going on in your heart and in your soul, perhaps maybe even some sin issues that you need to address head on and not use the questions as kind of a smoke screen. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, I think that unhealthy cynicism denies doubt rather than confronts doubts. Now, unfortunately, I think that the church has not handled the topic of doubt very well. Doubting and questioning tend to be discouraged kind of in the church, unfortunately, and yet the reality is, is that we all have doubts. 
right? Even your pastor struggles with doubts at times. Like we, we wrestle with questions like, why does the world look the way it looks? Or why does God allow certain things in our lives? So look, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to deny your doubts, but what I'm asking you to do is to doubt humbly by confronting your doubts, by wrestling with your doubts. That the honest doubter will own their doubts, will ask genuine questions of God, and will actively pursue the answers. Look, that's a big difference. It doesn't take a whole lot of work to ask questions or to point out something that's contradictory, but it takes a lot of work to act, actively pursue uh, the answers that you're trying to wrestle with. And I think that this is what Tim Keller is getting at between uh, uh, the difference between dishonest doubt and honest doubt. That he would, he would challenge us and he would say, are you willing to even doubt your doubts? Right, you're doubting faith, but are you willing to analyze and to inspect and even to challenge the presuppositions of your own doubts? Or are your doubts so fixated in your mind and your mind is so closed off to a God that can't even contradict them? See, oftentimes the problem, the problem is never the specific doubt or question. God's, God's big enough to handle all of our questions and all of our doubts. Oftentimes, the problem is the heart that's behind the doubts, the heart that might be filled with pride or with self-sufficiency. So I just wanna encourage you, if you're a Nathaniel, doubt with faith. That faith isn't the opposite of doubt any more than unbelief is a synonym for doubt. But faith and unbelief have to do with the posture of your heart that's actually behind those doubts. In fact, Charles Spurgeon um, put it very succinctly in one sentence. He said that doubt is a foot poised to go forwards or backwards in faith. That we can never go forward without first picking up our foot. So again, if you can, if you can relate to Nathaniel, I wanna encourage you, this might sound strange on the front end, but stare into your doubts wrestle with them, ask the questions, just like Nathaniel is asking his question, lay it all out there, but then look into the face of God. Look into his power, look at the greatness of his love, and leave room for a God whose power and whose wisdom is far beyond yours, and be open to actually searching what the scriptures have to say. And I think that's what Nathaniel is, is trying to do here as we look at this interaction between Nathaniel and Philip, that even though Nathaniel provides some pushback with this question, Philip, our enthusiast, doesn't give up. If you notice, Philip's response to him at the end of verse 46 is come and see. Like if you're, if you're close to a Nathaniel, this is one of the best responses to someone who is going through a period of doubting. When you say, hey, come and see, let's come and search the scriptures together. Let's see Jesus for ourselves. Let's push through these doubts and pursue the answers to these questions that you're actually wrestling with. I love what Avery Duels have to say. He's a, an apologist. He says that there is a secret infidel in every believer's heart, a kind of internal dialogue between one's believing self and unbelieving self that the wrong response to those doubting and questioning is to keep them in a Christian bubble 
or simply to dismiss their questions and exhort them to pray harder or read the Bible or just believe. But the right response is to teach them to doubt wisely. And look, one of the best ways to doubt wisely is to surround yourself with the Phillips in your life and to be able to ask your questions and to actively pursue them in the scriptures and to wrestle with what it might be in your heart that you're doubting or struggling to believe. For small group leaders, this is kind of a challenge for our small groups, making sure that we're creating those safe environments for people to to wrestle with their faith, to to wrestle with, with maybe some things that they're going through within their relationship with the Lord so they can actually pursue Jesus within the context of community. Now, I I love what Nathaniel does here. I mean, Nathaniel asks his, his question, and then Philip says, come and see, And Nathaniel is actually a a healthy cynic. He doesn't just sit there and ask questions and point out things, but if you notice, Nathaniel actually pursues Jesus. Look, there's something that happens in between verses 46 and 47. Philip says, come and see, and then look at verse 47 with me. Jesus saw Nathaniel do what? He saw Nathaniel coming toward him. Right, so Nathaniel, being a cynic, is not just asking questions, but he's actually pursuing after Jesus. And look, this is one of the big differences between someone who has a healthy doubt and an unhealthy doubt, is that you keep taking steps towards Jesus. You keep pursuing after Jesus, and you don't allow your questions to paralyze you in the faith. Uh, Lindsay and I are um, trying to uh, teach our children how to swim. And we've got a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And so we, we go to the goldfish place down the road and um, we have a, an instructor that's trying to teach them how to swim. And Lila, our almost two-year-old, I have to actually get in the water uh, with her and, and kind of go through some of the uh, exercises with the instructor. And man, they did not warn me about this, but I had no idea that the way you teach your kid how to swim is that you actually drown them. Partly. I mean, it feels that way. Like, like the instructor's like, yeah, this is the way we teach kids how to swim. We want them to get used to the feeling of almost drowning. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, because then their, their instincts kick in and they use the techniques that we've been teaching. I'm like, that sounds torturous to me. Like, I, I'm, I'm dealing with doubt right now in the swimming pool. Like, you need, to, you need to pray for me. But anyways, there's this exercise that's really cool where we've seen Lila actually take some steps and, and she's learning how to swim better and better. Um, if you know Lila, she can be a loud screamer at times. And, uh, and so the whole pool, is just, I mean, she's just screaming the entire time. So I'm a sweaty mess even in the pool. But there's this exercise where they actually put this table in the middle of the pool and they put each child on the table and the the parent is supposed to take a couple steps back and you're supposed to call the child to take steps and jump in the pool and try to swim towards you. Now for me, I'm like, there's no way she's gonna do this. Like she's gonna be a pencil that drops straight to the bottom. But, but on three, so okay, Lila, come to daddy. And she takes steps and she jumps in and, and it looks like she's just being overwhelmed with the water. It looks like she's drowning. And yet her instincts start to kick in and she starts kicking and she starts moving her arms and she eventually gets to me. And it's pretty quick. It's not like a five minute process. It's like two seconds. And she gets into my arms. And I'm thinking, man, Like, doesn't that feel like faith sometimes? 
Doesn't that feel like, like you're just overwhelmed with all of these questions. You're wrestling with how can this be true and what does this actually look like? And if you're a Nathaniel, it feels like sometimes you're drowning in your relationship with the Lord. And yet the difference between healthy doubt and unhealthy doubt is healthy doubt. You keep moving forward towards Jesus. You keep taking steps towards him. Don't be that pencil that asks questions and dives to the bottom. Be the kind of person, the follower of Jesus, lay your questions out before him. He can handle it and keep moving towards him. Let me show you what I mean by that. If you look at verses 49 through 51, we get to know Jesus here a little bit. We've seen Philip, we've seen uh, Nathaniel. And I, I love this about Jesus, that Jesus knows all about Nathaniel's reservations knows all about the questions in his heart, uh, even the questions that, that, that he didn't voice that's not in the text, I'm sure he had more, and yet Jesus is not intimidated by Nathaniel the cynic. Jesus is not scared of our questions, but he actually pursues us exactly where we are, not where we should be. So he finds Nathaniel and he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, and look, Nathaniel is just stunned. He's like, how do you know me? And so Jesus very lovingly says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Look, this is, this is Jesus here. You gotta, you gotta, don't miss this. He is pursuing Nathaniel out of love, out of care for someone who is struggling with doubts, and he is melting away the cynicism of Nathaniel's heart by loving him and by caring for him. What Jesus is saying here is before Philip called you, I saw you. I saw you, I know you, I care for you, I know all the questions that you have, I know all of the concerns and all the burdens that are on your heart, and yet I wanna meet you exactly where you are and love on you. Look, whether you can relate to Nathaniel or not, Allow the words of Jesus to minister to you this morning. Hear what Jesus is trying to say. That what Jesus is saying is before you got up this morning, I saw you. Before you got into the car this morning to get to church, I saw you. That Jesus sees us and he knows all of the burdens that are on our hearts, all of the questions, and yet he sees us and he knows us. He knows the burdens on your heart. He knows the things that keep you up at night. He knows those fears and those anxieties that swirl around your heart and your mind. And he says, I see you, I know you, and I'm caring for you by drawing you into myself. That's what he's getting at. It's this coming and seeing. Keep moving toward me, even with your questions. I see you, I'm drawing you, I'm wooing you to myself. And that's what he does with Nathaniel the cynic. Like if you notice, he doesn't answer Nathaniel's questions, but what he does give is more of himself. And that's what Jesus does oftentimes with our doubts, with our questions, with our issues. He doesn't answer all of them. He doesn't provide explanation, but he gives us revelation. He gives us a glimpse of who he is and who he is for us. And that's one of the most beautiful realities of Jesus, that he knows what we need better than what we know, right? We think we need answers. No, 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 Jesus says you need me and you need my presence in your life. Look at these last couple of verses. Jesus, at the end of this conversation, promises Nathaniel more revelation of himself. Look at verses 50 and 51 with me. 
Jesus answered him, he said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what is Jesus uh, referring to here in verse 51? What, what are these greater things that Nathaniel and his followers will see? Well, what he's referring to here is kind of a crazy story of what happened in Genesis chapter 28 with Jacob. If you know uh, Jacob and you know uh, the story of his life, in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is traveling, he decides to rest and he falls asleep and he has this incredible dream. And in this dream, he sees this ladder going from earth all the way up to heaven and he sees angels ascending and descending upon this ladder. Now that's not the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that God reveals himself from heaven and declares to Jacob, Jacob, I promise to be with you and I promise to give you this land that you are on right now and I will be with you until that actually takes place. Now Jacob uh, wakes up and he's so just blown away about what happened. He utters those famous words. He says, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. And then he renames that land Bethel, which means house of God, because he actually met with God in that place. Okay, that's what Jesus is referencing in verse 51. But what Jesus is telling Nathaniel and what he's telling us as followers of Jesus is that the greater things is actually bound up with greater revelation. What Jesus is saying here is that you will see greater things than what Jacob saw. Jacob saw this ladder of angels ascending and descending from earth to heaven. What Jesus declares to, to Nathaniel here is that there is no ladder anymore. I am actually the ladder, that I am the decisive final link between earth and heaven, and no one will come to see the Father except through me. That Jesus is providing for Nathaniel kind of a, a hint of, of his true mission of coming to the earth. See, in just a couple of years, Jesus is gonna get up on a cross and, and before his disciples, before Nathaniel and Philip and Andrew and Peter, he is going to die for the sins of the world. And he's gonna die and take our place. And, and maybe in that moment, it clicks in for Nathaniel. Oh my goodness, that's what Jesus was talking about. That, that we're going to ascend into heaven through the Son of Man, through this death of Jesus and through his resurrection that all who believe will receive eternal life. That Jesus is promising not just God opening up the heavens and speaking to him, but what he is saying is, I am standing right in front of you, revealing who God is, and you will see greater things like these. He's trying to blow Nathaniel out of the water here with saying, look, you're gonna see God in flesh walk with you, walk beside you, and be with you for the next couple of years. You're going to see greater things than what Jacob saw. Look, my question for you today is, do you know Jesus? Do, do you know him in this saving way? Have you placed your faith upon him. Look, maybe you're here and you're searching. Maybe you're, you're wrestling with questions. Maybe you're not a believer, but could today be the day that you place your faith and your trust upon Jesus, where Jesus is the decisive final link between earth and heaven, and all who trust upon him will be saved. Look, it, it is our desire 
that you place your faith upon Jesus today if you haven't done that already. Look, if you're here and you are a believer and, and you relate well with Nathaniel, I just wanna encourage you with three things as we close today. Three things of what to do with, with your doubt. Number one, identify what's behind your doubt. Okay, identify the, the question or the issue that's in your heart that's maybe driving maybe some of the cynicism and be honest about it. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, I want you to encourage you just to find other Phillips, find other believers who might be a little bit farther down the road from you that, that you can uh, kind of invite into your world and ask questions and, and wrestle with some of the things in the faith. And then thirdly, keep pursuing Jesus. Keep going after him. Do not allow your doubts and your questions to paralyze you in the faith, but keep pursuing him. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this passage. Lord, thank you that we get to, to study it and to read it and to relate with Nathaniel and Philip. God, thank you that your word just meets us exactly where we are. Lord, as Nathaniel had questions and issues, Lord, so do we, and you know that. So God, I pray that, that our church would be that safe place where we can bring those things here, we can be loved on, and Lord, that we can be, we can be pointed to who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us. So God, help us to, to wrestle with our doubt and our questions well, knowing that you're not intimidated by them, but that you love us through that you see us and that you know us. We give you praise for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.